We're going to look at that psalm today. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 72. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And only Jesus can perfectly reveal. Only Jesus can eternally redeem. And only Jesus can righteously reign. We're here to tell that story today. Westchester is about proclaiming that loud and clear. Only Jesus can do these things. If you look at that list, you see again that this child Christ, born in Bethlehem, was born prophet, priest, and king. As the prophet, he is the one who can perfectly reveal. As priest, he's the one and only who can eternally redeem. And as king, he is the only one who can righteously reign. Oh, I hope that during this Christmas celebration, you know, it's only, what, a week or so away, that maybe as a family, when you gather around together and you're remembering that Jesus came, maybe think through prophet, priest, and king, how Jesus came to be that for you, for your family Today, I want us to consider these three. We're going to look at them. They're called the offices of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Today, we're going to focus in on the one that I feel we have the most difficulty with, the most difficulty understanding and comprehending, the most difficulty applying and apprehending, and it's the one where he's King. We're going to look at that today. That Jesus is king. And I think we have the most difficulty understanding that. But those at his birth, I think they kind of got it. His kingship. Because I think about it this way. Um, At his birth, here's this baby Jesus. A prophet? Could they really see him as a prophet, a a proclaimer, a revealer of God's truth? Could those involved in that first Christmas see him as a prophet when he's a baby, he can't even speak? Oh, they would come to hear him speak. Years later, they would hear him speak, and they would be amazed at how he speaks. But at his birth? Or how about priest? Did those involved in that birth of Christ, did they see him as the priest, as the mediator between God and man? When here's this baby, it's a baby, and the baby doesn't know my needs. The baby doesn't know all that I am and and how I need to be redeemed. Oh, they would come to know him that way. They would come to know him as the the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, they would come to see him and recognize him. But at his birth? But what about that office, king? For those involved in the birth of Jesus, did they see him as king? 
Listen again to Luke chapter 1. was read earlier in the service. Did Mary kind of understand that? When the angel came and talked to her and said, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern the sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I think Mary understood a little bit about this kingship. And you know, the reality is all kings were born, and there are many kings that were born, and they were king at the moment they were born. And here, at least Mary understood, here was one who was born king. And what about the wise men? They, came, they had seen a star. Remember, the wise men came to Bethlehem and asked, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod, the king of that area, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. I think there were some at his birth that understood a bit that this Jesus was king. But what about us today? We need to be honest with each other. Do we really understand this king idea? For those of us here in the United States, what do we do? We celebrate our, what, our democracy, right? We have a government that is by elected representatives. Do we really understand this idea of what a king is? And even when we try to get out of, you know, out of our minds, out of our country, and we look around, and most of the kings today around the world are, are just figureheads, Right? What do we really understand about what a, a king? Now, if we go back into history, in history, through the course of history, most countries were led and ruled by kings. And I think the people in that day would understand what a king is. Do we? That kings can and do demand allegiance demand fealty, demand loyalty. Do we understand that today? In our democracy, how, how, how do we practice this? Well, in our democracy, don't, don't we, we agree that we will follow the laws of our land. And if we don't agree with or like our leaders, we have the right to express our opinions and what vote them out of office. What do we truly and practically understand and comprehend about the meaning of kingship. Today I want us to study this out of Psalm 72. And in Psalm 72 we're going to see the characteristics of this great coming king. And then we're going to conclude with some questions about how do we respond to King Jesus. And even as I'm moving through my introduction here, and can I ask all of you a question? 
a series of questions. Have you been losing your way lately? You know, you're following what you, you think is best. You've been following those that seem to be giving you good advice, but, but you know you're lost. You've lost your way. How about this? When you think of the future, this unknown future that is unfolding for us as a church, that is unfolding for us as, a fa- as families, as individuals, as a country, as a world, as we are contemplating the future, does that fill you full of fear? Or does this idea of uncertainty come? Or can I ask you this? In the depths of your soul, you know, you're like me. Isn't there times it feels like each week I work to pay the bills, and then the next week comes and I work some more to pay the bills? Have you ever asked, isn't there more to life than this? And there's times when it just feels kind of meaningless. Maybe even a a pointless. I believe this passage of scripture has something to say to us. I believe that as we encounter this idea of King Jesus. He will answer some of those questions for us. Oh Father help us as we study this psalm that was just so effectively read for us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand the kingship of Jesus in this place today. In Christ Jesus' name, our Lord, our Savior, our King, I pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Psalm 72. And before we jump into my outline, I'd like to do some, give just a few clarification, some notes of clarification. Psalm 72, if you look at it, just look at it. It has a title. Not all the Psalms have a title. This Psalm has a title. It also has a doxology in it at the end. It also has a postscript in it. And most Psalms don't have a postscript. Post, the postscript being verse 20. And let's look at that 20, verse 20. It says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And then in my Bible, maybe yours as well, what are the next two words that are there? Mine says book three. And did you know that the book of Psalms is divided into four different books? They kind of are classified together for a number of different, there's four different sections or volumes within the book of Psalms. So chapter 72 ends book 2, and chapter 73 starts book 3 of the book of Psalms. And verse 20 tells us that the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And what that, they don't know exactly all that that means, but what it generally means is that in books 1 and 2, the majority of those Psalms were written by David. Not all of them, if you were to page through, not all of them are written by David, but the majority of them are. And then after, in books 3 and 4, there still are some psalms of David in books 3 and 4 of the book of Psalm, but not as many. 
and the percentage isn't as high. And so there's a statement here that these, the pre- previous to Psalm 73, the majority of those psalms are written by David. And then you look at this psalm. We go to the title. Well, this one says, of Solomon. So, so was this one written by David? or was this? So, and so, the, again, of Solomon could mean a couple of different things. It could mean that it was written by Solomon. Or it could mean that it was written by David and it was written about Solomon. Or it was written by someone else about Solomon. And what we need to understand about Psalm 72 along with these things is that Psalm 72 is one of the nine royal psalms. And the royal psalms were used at the coronation of the new king. The royal psalms were used at the anniversary of the king's coronation when the people would gather and it would be a big scene of all the host of Israel and they would pronounce these royal psalms at the ordination or uh, uh, the Uh, coronation, or the anniversary of these kings. Psalm 72 is one of those royal psalms. And as we're going to look at Psalm 72, we're going to see that it presents the picture of the ideal king. Its description speaks of a reign that has never been realized by any of the kings of Israel or any of the kings of Judah or of any earthly monarch or leader in history. No, this is, they say, most say that this is the most messianic psalm of all the psalms. Describes King Jesus. And Psalm 72 finds its fulfillment only in Christ, the king who has come, the king who was born king, the king who now already reigns, but the king who also, there's a not yet involved with this king, this king who is coming someday to to establish his kingdom in full, And Psalm 72 helps us understand King Jesus. So, let's go through my outline. Let's first look at the six descriptions of this king. In verses 1 through 4, we see his kingship is a, a righteous rule. Follow along as I read some of these verses here. Verses 1 through 4. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and the poor with justice. These verses describe a ruler who rules solely with justice and righteousness. And we need to see it's not just the people, it's not just the the wealthy, it's not just the other. It is also including the poor. And so this righteousness and this justice is for all. Look at verses 3 and 4. And as I read that, there's a, there's a principle here. And do you see if you see it if I, as I'm reading it. A principle that applies to moral leaders and civil leadership and also into our personal lives. Listen as I read verses 3 and 4. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. 
Do you see the principle here of leadership? Whether that is civil leadership or moral leadership or spiritual leadership. And and here's how I see it. That all government, all leadership ought to be bringing about prosperity for the people. But right, it doesn't just end there. This prosperity is to spawn over into righteousness. And it doesn't end there either. It is also supposed to transfer over into taking care of the poor. Prosperity leads to righteousness, leads to taking care of the poor. Is that how we see prosperity today? Is that why our country is pursuing prosperity? Is so that righteousness can flourish? Do we pursue prosperity so that righteousness can flourish? So that we take care of the poor? Oh, I wish we would see this in our government. Well, I hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would see this in our lives as we respond to King Jesus. But we can know that when Jesus comes again and establishes his reign over all of the earth, that's the kind of reign and government that Jesus will produce. It's a righteous rule. In verses 5 through 7, we see an endless reign. Look at verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, may they fear you while the sun endures as long as the moon throughout all generations. Verse 5 alone says, isn't it very clear? There is no earthly king in thought of, thought of here. This isn't about an earthly king. This is about the eternal king. Verse 6. May he be like rain that falls on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Verse 6 is, is this beautiful verse, right? A beautiful imagery here. Like rain that falls on mown grass. It's beautiful. It just has a, just a nice rhyme and rhythm to it. But think of the picture there. Mown grass. So this is grass that is growing and flourishing and it needed to be mown down. And then it's like the rain falling down on this mown ground so that it can flourish all the more. This beautiful image of this this king. And then like showers that water the earth. Beautiful pictures. Verse 7 tells us what that's about. Verse 7, in his day, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. That's what's going on in this endless rain where the righteous flourish and peace abounds. That's a day to come. And until that day, Like many of the Psalms, why do the wicked flourish? And why do the false teachers and the false prophets pronounce peace, peace, when there is no peace? That's this day. Until the ideal king returns and establishes his kingdom here on earth. It's an endless reign. In verses 8 through 11, we see a boundless realm. 
May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish, Tarshish, and Tarshish they thought was um, on the far western end of the, the known world in Spain, on the end of the Mediterranean, and of the coastlands, the scriptures say, of the coastlands of the Mediterranean, may they render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And these were kings from the Egypt, so the southern edge of the, kingdom, of the known world. And then it goes, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. King Jesus, there'll be a day when he will have this boundless realm. From sea to sea. And then in verses 12 through 14, next, we see he's a compassionate king. Where it says, for he delivers the needy when he calls. The poor in him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life. And precious is their blood in his sight. He's a compassionate king. You know, we have seen this attitude of kindness and of taking care of the poor. We have seen this attitude from God the Father. We have seen this during the life of Jesus. It has been repeated in this psalm back in verse 2. The last part of verse 2 where it says, and, or verse 2 says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Did you notice that? Your poor? Do we see the poor as God's poor? A compassionate king. Just now, I'm, I'm, in the last few weeks, I've been reading Ian Murray's biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great British preacher in the middle 1900s. And before Lloyd-Jones became a great preacher, he was a medical doctor. A quite famous medical doctor who had a career ahead of him that was going to be unknown with the expanse of it. And while he was still a doctor, his father was, uh, was dying. And, and his father always struggled all of his life uh, with being poor. And there were failures in his businesses, and so money was always tight, and always financially he just always struggled. And he had his sons, and all of his sons near his death, his father could see we're going to be already were successful, and we're going to be very successful. And near his father's death, Martin Lloyd-Jones' father came to him and his brothers, and one of the last things he said to his sons was, Do not forget the poor. Those are good words for us today. Don't forget the poor. It matches, that attitude matches the heart of God. 
It follows the example of Jesus when he walked on the earth. It displays the character of the forever King Jesus who is going to reign forever on this earth, on the new earth, in the millennial kingdom, but also in the final earth, heaven and earth. He's going to reign. Don't forget the poor. Shouldn't it be, if we're reading this correctly and if we're seeing the passion of the King Jesus here, shouldn't it be that one of the highest priorities in any society is to be given to the lowest within that society? To the poor and to the needy. A compassionate King. In verses 15 through 17, 17 we see endless blessing. Look at verse 15. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayers be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. Verse 15 talks about blessing this king with offerings, with prayer. Do you know that your prayers bless King Jesus? Your prayers bless God. And doesn't that also say that our prayerlessness does just the opposite? And then these blessings, these endless blessings, not only go to him, but also to the people. Look at 16. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may, the pe- may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. King Jesus will bless his people. There's an interesting phrase here uh, in verse 16. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. That is repeated again over in verse 3. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people. The tops of the mountains. Have you ever been to the top of a mountain? Right right above the tree line? How many people have ever been above the tree line? Uh, lots Lots of us here have. And you get above the tree line, what's up there? It is barren. There's nothing up there. There's rocks. May the tops of the mountains... May it wave. The beauty of this, even in those barren places, when King Jesus reigns, will bring prosperity and fruitfulness. And then verse 17, this combination of God being blessed and us being blessed. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. When King Jesus reigns, it will be a reign of endless blessing. And then verses 18 to 19, we see eternal praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. 
eternal praise. And there was coming a day. There's coming a day when there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation who will gather around his throne and give him glory. There'll be a day when this is fulfilled. And when King Jesus will receive that eternal praise. Psalm 72 describes the child Christ, describes King Jesus. Now, how do we respond to this? This Christmas, as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, may we go back to those three offices again? Let's celebrate him as prophet. As the one, he proclaimed the truth of God, Jesus. He was a living message from God to man. How do we respond to a prophet? How do you respond to the prophet? Well, the way we respond is we believe. We believe. We hear his words, we read his words, and we believe them. He came to be priest as well. Priest, he not only pronounced the way to be reconciled with God, he became the way to be reconciled with God. Through his perfect sacrifice, he paid the penalty, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we respond to a priest, to this priest? How do we respond? It's so clear how we respond is we receive it. We receive him. We believe that he's the Savior. We believe that redemption is him alone, in him alone, and we receive him by faith. Prophet, priest, king. How do we respond to the fact that Jesus is king? I have three questions that may help us know how to respond. The first question is this. Is your allegiance to him before any other allegiance? You must decide this. Is your allegiance to Jesus above, before, over your allegiance to any person Anything? Any passion? Is your allegiance to Jesus, King Jesus, above that strongest passion of yours? Is your allegiance to him above any hobby, any dream, any organization? My allegiance, first of all, is to my king, King Jesus. Now, I know in our day, I may be ruffling some feathers or maybe even raising some ire. In this day here in our country where there's a questioning of patriotism, we're watching and we're wondering, oh, wait a minute. And then here I stand before you, and Christians, our allegiance is to King Jesus over everything else. King Jesus. 
oh, I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. But my allegiance is to King Jesus. Oh, I am proud to be a a citizen of the United States of America. And King Jesus tells me to submit to my government authorities, and I will do that. And I will honor, the scriptures say, honor the king. I will do that. But my allegiance, Christian, our allegiance is to King Jesus. In Wagner's work, uh, Tannhauser, it's a, a, a story, it's also an opera. It's this story of this legendary knight who sought forgiveness for a wayward life, sought a, a absolution and trying to find his way back to God. And there's this famous idea, and there, he, he would talk about, well, there's these two pulls, two pulls that are constantly tugging. And I'm sure you have at least two pulls. There's that one pull, the pull of God, of King Jesus, that is pulling us. And then there's that thing that does battle with our allegiance, those, that other pull. Or maybe there's a third pull. Maybe it's some passion or some person or some dream of yours that this is pulling at your heart as well, at your allegiance. Is your allegiance to him before any other allegiance. When the scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is a statement of allegiance. When the word of God says, love not the world nor the things of the world, that is a statement of your allegiance. When the word of God says, deny yourself, when Jesus said it, deny yourself and follow me. When the scriptures talk about loving him more than we love our fathers and our mothers, all of these statements are statements of allegiance to the king. At all cost, are you one of those who will say, he is my king? Uh, Another question. Are his causes your causes? When we're trying to find this, how, how do we respond to the king? How do we respond to a king? Well, you respond to a king by adopting his causes. What he wants is what we want. What is important to him should be important to us. And even out of just this one psalm, we see a number of things that are important to King Jesus. One of them, we saw it multiple times here, is the King Jesus is concerned about the poor and the needy. And if we adopted that cause, it's his cause. Out of verse 7, we see that one of his causes, that peace would abound. Are we peacemakers in all of the realms and circles of our lives are we as those who are aligned and our allegiance is to King Jesus are we peacemakers 
Verse 7 also talks about that the righteous would flourish. Verses 8 through 11 and verse 19, that the whole world would worship and follow him. Have we adopted that cause? As families, individuals, as a church. Verse 17, spread the spreading of his name and his fame. Making his causes our causes. One more question. Is every day a day you spend serving him? Serving your king? Where we do all to the glory of God. Remember where I started? Are there times when we feel like we've lost our way and we've been following what we think is best, but maybe what other people are giving us advice? Have we lost our way? King Jesus will lead you. Remember I asked the question, I made some statements about does it feel like life kind of is meaningless and life doesn't hold a lot of, I mean, I, I, every week I make money so I can pay the bills so that next week I may, and is there no point to this? And do we see King Jesus? We adopt his causes they become our causes, and there's meaning, there's depth to life. It doesn't mean at all that all of you should quit your jobs and go be missionaries or go to... No, right where you are, are you adopting his causes? Oh, how that would bring meaning and depth to our living. And we're not just about making money and paying bills. No, we're about a pro- promoting the causes of our king. And that is what life is for. And that brings meaning and depth. Or, in our limited understanding of kingship, are we going to come to the kingship of Jesus and like most kings today, would you say, oh, that's, he's just a figurehead. Kind of attractive there. We like to look at him every once in a while, but we really follow my way. Is King Jesus just a figurehead for you? Or do we falsely use our democracy and it slips in and it spills into our spiritual lives? And in our democracy, right, if we don't like something, well, we just vote about it. If we don't like what Jesus has to say to us in his word, well, we just vote about it. And we can vote him out of office. Is Jesus your king? The child Christ of Bethlehem is king. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us as we apply this. Lord, show us how to live this out. Here at this Christmas, maybe like never before, may we as individuals and families celebrate that Jesus, this child Christ, is prophet, priest, and king. And we will respond to him. Oh, Father, help us. In Christ's name, amen.